first of all, um, thank you for joining us. It was a phenomenal lunch, and I really do appreciate it. It was really, Love being here. really, really awesome. Um, so we're going to talk about our organization, the Real Estate Council, and tribal leadership. Um, so I'd like to start with your concept of tribal, leader, tribal leaders, and in this case, leaders in commercial real estate, and the importance of cities in this looming jobs war. Um, our organization is a conduit that's focusing on tribal leaders in Dallas into what we collectively agree are the best strategies to build the city we imagine. As you travel the world and see cities around the world through this context of the jobs war, how do you feel Dallas compares? From your limited experience here, obviously. Well, da- Dallas is a is a super is a super city. I, I, I mentioned yesterday that that new Milken report came mm-hmm. out. Dallas is listed as third, and, and that's a very comprehensive kind of uh, mm-hmm. kind of index. I think that you have to look at Dallas. Of course, it's a great city, but there are certain cities in America I think that have a responsibility that lead the rest of America. But Dallas is one of them that could just boom. I mean, to I mean, Dallas could be the best city in the world, and I think that's something that the tribal leaders here uh, could honestly uh, set their sights on. Well, we're unique in that we have an immediate connectivity to the tribal leaders in Dallas. We're very connected with the political structure as well as the community leaders. Um, And also we're creating the leaders of tomorrow. At least we are working towards that. How can we best maximize our unique position, and what advice would you give to our leadership team? Well... I think one of the things it begins with is that you've got to be in charge of your uh, uh, of your city. And as I say over and over again, don't look to Washington. Don't even look to politics. Having having a good city council is better than having a bad city council, but don't look to them for solutions. Look to your tribal leaders. Tribal leaders should have a strategy for building a city just as much as the city planners do. But the tribal leaders should work on free enterprise, the real energy, the thing that just uh, uh, nothing, nothing else can add. But um, you, you can't have a great city. And so many politicians both on both sides of the aisle don't know this unless business is booming. But, but that's what I think your uh, tribal leaders can do. Okay. Well, we've got a lot of work to do, I know, and, and re- particularly around entrepreneurship. I know that that's an area that you've spent a lot of time, and we're struggling with how we create opportunities for economic empowerment and creating the entrepreneurs of t- tomorrow. And we talked a little bit about this last night, but do you have any suggestions on how we can increase? I know you're doing this with your own company, bringing in high school students right out of high school and, and giving them a chance to to create and have a job that's a great paying job. and plan their own future as opposed to going through the traditional post-collegiate, I mean, college, and then then on to a job. What would you recommend some of the business leaders, the people that own the companies here? Is the strategy that you're employing working so well that you think you can recommend that to other business leaders and business owners? I think, Linda, the single most important thing, if you really want to have a, I mean, if you you really want to change your future, you've got to get early identification of these unusually gifted kids that have this sort of rare grit mm-hmm. that can build something. You can't take, I don't know how many, let's just say it's 200,000 ice, uh, you can't treat them all the same. You gotta find those. And you gotta be as sure about it as you are about, as Texas is about running backs or court, <laughs> quarterbacks or something like that. And then, but then give them very intentional development plans. The The kids that I hire, I tell them, just come here, learn business. Um, I'll be your guy. I'll be your mentor. I don't really like mentor as much as something else. But, and I tell them, I don't care if you quit Gallup. 
you get going, you want to jump out and start your company, that's actually what we're trying to do. And I even tell them I'll be your investor. But you say, well, what is Jim doing? Is he trying to make money or what? No, I'm, I'm trying to get as much economic energy as I can in Washington, D.C., and the programs that myself and the Clifton Foundation do, and also my, the state where I'm from. We all love the state and cities where we're from. Mm -hmm. but, but we're trying to create an experiment that makes all of this scalable. But you, you, it'd be good if Dallas was, was one of them, too. Well, we'll have to think about getting you back here to talk more about that with some of the other business leaders. Um, let's talk a few minutes about employee engage, employment engagement and employee engagement. You've written a lot about the lack of engagement in the workplace, uh, reporting that only one-third of American workers uh, you polled identified as being engaged at work, while 51% were not engaged, shocking number, and 16% actively disengaged. That's a horrifying number. Those figures are staggering. It's mind-boggling to consider that America has been so successful as it's been in GDP growth, given only one-third of workers are engaged at the office. What do you think we, uh, we as a country could accomplish by increasing that percentage or doubling that percentage? I think it's important when you look back. Remember, I, the, if you take somebody like me as a baby boomer, I wasn't going for meaning or I wasn't going for changing the world. I was going for just a job. And so I had a job at <coughs> excuse me, a book supply company. And I didn't care that my job didn't. Be see, so if you say, are you engaged? No, we weren't engaged at all. We hated our boss. We hated it. But that's okay. That's the way it was. But I didn't have the demand because I had my eye on the ball, but that was having a family. But the reason why we can't have engagement where it is now is because millennials have a different demand than I did. And that's why I think one of the reasons is we have so many actively disengaged people. But when, when you're upside down, when you have an upside down will for me family's not first job is first but that also means that if your job doesn't have meaning your life doesn't have meaning see it wasn't true for me did my job have meaning no it's horrible but i didn't care um, but so that's why we got to change a lot of our systems in the practice of management because if i'm a millennial and i walk onto your workplace into your association i'm asking um, how can i make a contribution what do i do here that has meaning so again my, my life has meaning what should we be teaching managers to help them identify those opportunities to increase <clears throat> engagement? Well, one, one thing that I absolutely don't want is satisfaction. It's actually condescending to me. So if you say, hey, Jim, come on over and join the association. We've got volleyball courts and um, um, latte machines and ping pong tables and all of that. That's a mistake that we all made with a, uh, with, with a premise. Um, what I do want to know about is how do I contribute? What can I become? And so if you can talk to me about, about my development, uh, that makes a lot of difference. Of course, in my organization, we have a huge bias towards strengths-based development. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> exactly what you should do is you should sit down with me and say, Jim, here are your, here are your strengths, futuristic, woo, individualization, and <clears throat> what can we do and how can we create a job? How can you use those strengths here? And, and what, what we're learning is that when I use my strengths, and the job actually feels good. There's a problem. Don Clifton, the in, inventor, uh, he's been dead about 15 years, gotten all kinds of, he's going to be really, he's gonna be really famous. Too bad he didn't know this before he died. But he said that one of the most important things he learned, he said, if you want to torture a person, don't waterboard. He said, give them a job 
that has a task that God didn't give him a capacity to perform and ask him to do it over and over and wow. over, and he said, you'll just grind the life out of him. Mm -hmm. that, that's why we only have 30% because we haven't really worked on figuring out what your strengths are and how do we apply that to the job. I think a lot of employers who have those latte machines and baristas <coughs> on site are probably going to be listening to this because that's, a, that's an easy answer but to a tougher question, and that's really investing time into people's lives in terms of what they want out of their success. It's hard work, Linda, but it's doable, and it also is kind of free. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like you got to spend a jillion dollars on development and all that. It's mm -hmm. Just make sure that your strategy's right in how you develop, Jim. So a lot of, um, uh, particularly our younger generation, and, and I, I mentioned to you in the commercial real estate industry, we lost a whole generation of leaders when we had the bust um, a couple decades ago. Uh, and now we've got 30-year-olds that are really, in some cases, running companies. They're not quite ready yet to be running companies, but they're they're actually you know there's a lot of people though behind them that are ready to run the company or at least they think they are. So, what kind of advice do you give to managers about? I can't give you the presidency of the company next year, but what can I do for you that will help you realize that you're heading in the right direction so that you can run a company sometime in the future mm -hmm. and give them a sense of satisfaction out of that. If, if you have somebody that has the real leadership talent, I think the most important thing you can do is give them hard, hard jobs. Okay. Ha even if it's a small situation, but see if they can turn something around because, you know, you, you grow through the hard assignments. That's right. And, but what you don't want to do is if I don't have real leadership talent, don't assign those things to me. And there's nothing wrong with not having leadership talent because I can be one of the great experts in the world, whether it's a chef or an uh, some, something to do with analytics, but you've got to make sure that you're giving those hard tasks to the right, right person. Uh, but I think that's the best way to do it. Make sure that, they use, that they're using their strengths and then give them high degree of difficulty challenges and really celebrate their success. So do you employ all those strategies as CEO of Gallup? Is that your management style? Well, that's kind of a personal question. <laughs> <clears throat> we want to get personal here. <laughs> I'm a... I'm a good manager, not a great manager. Mm -hmm. And I look at my strengths, and I just own up own up to that. I like management. I like to study it and that, and that kind of thing. But I, I do exactly what, what uh, Don Clifton's theory was. I have some people that help me with my – I'm not real good at, at, at um, setting goals with people and then holding them accountable and all of that. So I have a partnership with our CFO where he helps me with that. And our COO helps me with some budgets and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm kind of a more out-there client guy or whatever. You can imagine what, it, uh, what, what that is. But our, our company, our, our COO is an unbelievable uh, manager. And she's kind of the real general manager of the company, not me. I'm general manager of the outside. And, but she runs Gallup impeccably with all of strengths-based high development, high performance, all that. So the answer is yes, but that's not my game ball. So it, like any good business, it's the team you build around you. It's not necessarily just the leader that's at the, at the top of the helm. Yeah, because there are certain demands of leadership that you have to pull off, even if you don't have the capacity to do it. You've got to figure out a way to, you've got to figure out a way to get it done. 
Well, I'm going to ask you quickly, and I'm going to say we're going to have two questions left. <laughs> Sorry. Um, millennials, everyone came up to me afterwards, and they wanted to hear you talking about the rules of engagement for millennials. Um, so give me a quick answer as to what you think the rules of engagement are millennials. I know one of them is engaging, getting them engaged and, and making them feel like they're contributing more than just showing up and picking up a paycheck. But It's, it's not about satisfaction. It's my satisfaction. It's about my development. Mm-hmm. That one's really important. Um, Another one is it's not about having a boss. What they really want is a coach. They want you to say, Jim, I saw your presentation. I thought you did this, if you did this better and that kind of thing. But for you to coach me is one of the highest, most respectful, valuable leadership things you can do, not just direct me as as my boss. Um, The other thing is do not use the old practice of management where you figure out what my weaknesses, my gaps are, and then we spend all of our time on gaps. Millennials definitely want to know how they can explode, and you only explode around strengths, not around weaknesses. The, the other one is, this one's so important. It's more about my purpose than my paycheck. Great. That's great pay, pay, advice. Pay matters. Right. It's got to be fair and all of that. Sure. But if you say to me, Jim, you work here to get this paycheck, that I might even stay and just be a lousy worker, but you've got to inspire me with what our purpose is at the associate at the council. That's great. Well, that's great advice. So one of the things that I've learned over the last couple of months in preparing for you to visit is how much you do in the global world in terms of uh, surveys and how you're engaged and w- with what's happening in other parts of the world. And I just found that to be fa- fascinating. And two of the big issues your blog touches on, aside from employee engagement, is our government and the stagnant economy um, and what's happening with, uh, you know, what's happening in our economy, the stagnation, how that's going to impact the future. You talk an awful lot about the 100 years that we were very, very successful as a country up till 1950, and then we've been stagnant since then. Can you just tell us a couple of things about what you think about the economy and the stagnation and, and then kind of come into tell us how that fits into the whole geopolitical global perspective and kind of tell us what you think about the things that are happening on in the world and how that impacts us as a country well we're not <clears throat> if you look at gdp we're growing at about somewhere between 1.7 and 2 depending upon exactly where you started that's not enough to survive that means every year we lose money it means we don't have enough good jobs it means that pay per job is grinding down and and especially at the at the low end so but if you divide that by the population, populations, even though we don't have huge population growth, it's growing faster than, in, than, than GDP's going up. So GDP per person in our country for 20 years has been going down just like this. That's all bad. I always say quickly, it's very fixable. We've been here before. About 35 years ago, all economists, left-leaning, right-leaning, all predicted that our GDP would fall behind Japan's and Germany's, which is just incredible as you look back. They, but, but they said, it's amazing how accurate, they said Japan would have about five trillion, this would actually be about, up to about six years ago, Germany would have about four, and we'd be just below Germany, and it's because we were so bad at production. We had defects and all of that kind of thing. But can you imagine this country if we were at $4 trillion now, we exploded to 18. If we were at $4 trillion, we would we'd be like a coast-to-coast Detroit. Every city, I mean, there wouldn't be lights, there, nobody picks up the garbage and all that kind of stuff. 
But when Americans get it figured out, and we can get this startup thing figured out, it's, we don't just grow by a little bit. I mean, we absolutely explode. Exactly, Linda, where we need to be is that three and three quarter percent GDP mm-hmm. for a time, like across 20 years. And we will rise to more dominant economic leadership in the world than we ever have. It's really, we've got the whole world right now exactly where we want them, I believe, and China too. And I always say that if we were playing cards with China, you want every single card in our hand and not one single card that they have in their hand. Um, but we, we, we just got to get our economic dynamism, just we got to be a little more sharp in our, in our strategy. We're missing some real important things, but I think we will.